Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scale It Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Huzefa, as always. And today we are talking about test prep. But in particular, we're talking about test prep for a specific test, which is called the IC. And the IC, they have a whole range of tests, primarily for getting into private schools. And I know they're used a lot in California, but I'm not going to talk about it so much. Today, we've got a guest on the show who's an absolute expert with the IC, and he has his own company, education company called True Education Solutions. And it's really cool to have this gentleman on the show because he's my mentor. And when I was beginning my my sort of my leap into education, and I didn't really know too much about education in particular, you know, I was still figuring things out. He very graciously offered me the opportunity to work alongside him and and work with a class that he has developed and a curriculum that he has created himself for the IC. And I've st- I still work with him. We we've been he's been running this class for some years, and I've been helping him out for the last two two and a half years now. And it's been a lot of fun. I love it, and he's taught me a lot. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Ron Siegel to the show. Ron, how's it going? Very good. Thank you so much for that warm introduction. Um, well, yeah, first of all, uh, I started True Education Solutions about 10 years ago. I started teaching a little over 30 years ago. Um, but, and in fact, you know, my sort of entry into the, the IC as a, a test wasn't done by me seeking it out, but more by working with you know, kids in different settings and different kind of tutoring scenarios. And then parents coming and say, wow, you really got a result here. Um, we have this test coming up. Can you help out? And it sort of grew along those lines. And it's not the only thing that I do, but it is something that I've been doing for a number of years. So what is, um, and, and can you explain, like, what is the IC? What, what is it all about? Yeah. So the first thing, and often students and uh, parents aren't even aware of the letters. So it's good to know that. The I-S-E-E stands for Independent School Entrance Examination. And really what that means is often for many schools, we're, we're located more in the west side in, you know, in the LA, uh, greater LA area. Uh, with private schools, they'll ask you to take this competitive admissions test that on uh, various academic areas as part of the application process. So that will be just part of the package. It's not the only item, of course, but it is significant. And um, it has five sections, which are verbal reasoning, which deals a lot, obviously, with vocabulary, quantitative reasoning, mathematics that is a little bit more conceptual-based, reading comprehension, math achievement, another math section that's a little bit, you could say, more straightforward and mechanical, and then an essay. And that's the essay. It's, it's, the company is the Educational Records Bureau, or ERB. They're based in New York. They have schools all over the country that are members and that take the, um, you know, that have people taking the IC. 
and there's thousands of people, but it's not the only admissions test, and it varies from state to state what becomes the predominant test for private schools. And now we also, this a similar one, I know, I don't know if it's used as much in California, we have the SSAT, that's kind of the the, the brother, the nephew, or whatever of the mm-hmm. IC, right? Exactly. And and a lot of them, you know, have quite a bit of parallels. Um would you would you say if somebody is training for the ICE and they've they've gone through the whole process, would you say they're probably uh, in good shape to take the SSAT, or would you recommend that they take a separate sort of more tailored approach to the SSAT? Well, I mean, if they've done really good prep for the ICE, they're probably going to be in pretty good shape. But they should get, do some prep just to get familiar with, with a little. There's little, you know, adjustments in the format and types of questions, so they should just get familiar with it. Um, one of the, you know, and one of the things, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to talk about. And, um, I thought, you know, in this particular segment, two things, one, obviously just an overview on the IC and kind of how it works a little bit about the philosophy of testing, because, you know, this is a hot subject and not everything about testing is positive and uh, not everything about it is negative. And just to touch on that area. And then also a key area that I think in some ways can be misunderstood, which is vocabulary and what it has to do with testing, but also just in general education. Okay, awesome. So why don't we, let's, let, why don't you start us off with the idea of testing, the pros and cons, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, there, I, I, one of the things that I'm pretty upfront with, very upfront with parents is I'm not necessarily, um, I don't necessarily spouse. I'm not necessarily 100% behind everything about the testing world because it, it can add stress and if, and it and it and it can be done in a way that's not necessarily in the best interest of the student. Quite frankly, on the other hand, I'm I'm also not in the camp that just dismisses any and all tests and just says testing is evil. Here's one analogy I'm making. Again, you know, in this segment would be hard to cover. You know, it's just sort of a whole philosophical issue, and it, it depends on on what you want. But for example, if you're going to get become certified as a, let's say scuba diving, certainly you want to pass that test. You want to have a test, um, and there's nothing wrong with with having a test. If you want to, if you want to have somebody operating you as a doctor, you want to know that they've met certain standards. You want to test food to see it meets requirements for that matter. Although it's not a uh, human test, but um, the, one of the differences, though, let's say for scuba certification, is. Uh, it's very, it's kind of a known, there's a known bar to reach. And it's, it's a little bit more accessible in that way. And also, it's not a matter of, well, you'll get this scuba certification if you are in the top 80th percentile. The only way you're really going to get it is if you beat out other people. It's really a bar, and as long as you get that bar, you're going to get certified. Whereas... The IC, for example, your score is really not based on the percentage of scores. So let me give a kind of exaggerated analogy, but still we'll get the point across. If I got, um, if there's a 100-question test and I got 95 out of 100, that seems pretty good. But if, let's say in the IC perspective, if everybody else got 96 or 97 or 98 out of 100, my score would be at the bottom. They break it into nine different categories, depending on where you rank, called stay nines. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And I would get a one in that exaggerated scenario, but it's still theoretically possible. It's based on where I rank. And, and on the other hand, and again, going to the other extreme, 
let's say I got three out of a hundred right, and everybody else got two or one, well, I'd get a nine, even though I only got three. Right. The point is, the ranking, uh, I you know, can obviously put a little bit of pressure. It's different. So in, in some things, I think philosophically, it's better give a test, but just say we're just going to get you to a certain bar, and we, we're going to say you met it. As an educator, that's that's obviously a good thing. And then you just if somebody needs a little longer to get to that bar, you help them and so on. Um, you know, and again, so philosophically, the other good thing about tests is it can, if they're done right, they test the right things, it does hold you accountable. You know you've met a certain goal and things like that. But the IC, because it is based on your percentile, meaning your ranking, then it adds pressure. And just think about it. If, if suddenly I magically tutored or helped everybody who's taking the IC, and I equally throughout, and they all jumped up to where they were twice as knowledgeable as they were before, their scores really wouldn't change because everybody went up and their ranking, if everybody's falling, they would still rank the same if everybody rose. And in a way, again, these are all sort of exaggerated, stretched out, theoretical, but they do, but they are real in that you're not acknowledging the guy's gain because it's all based on how you gained relative to somebody else. And and this doesn't this make it difficult as well as far as trying to say if I know sometimes we set targets like on the SAT or whatever the standardized test. Oh, I would like to get blank score. Doesn't it make it especially difficult with the ICE because it's a moving target? We, you know, nine on one test could be a seven on another with another group of kids, so on and so forth. Hundred percent, and things change and things shift, and who takes it? And, and a parent or a student is like, well, you know, the impulse is, okay, what do I need to do to get an eye? They're really saying is like, they're thinking in terms of a spelling test. How many out of the 20 spelling words do I need to get right? And it's hard to get it across, even though they, you know, they're very intelligent parents because they're just not used to that thinking. It's hard to get across. It's not like a spelling test. It isn't, okay. First, first of all, you're not given the spelling words in advance. And second of all, you don't know for sure that X amount right is going to get you X score. I mean, you know, you can get, as particularly somebody like me who's dealing with a lot of kids, you get familiar with how they do percentage-wise and then later the stainines they get. But it's still, like you said, it's always moving and shifting, and it's not a given. Right. You're absolutely right. So, so now, and, so oh, look, by, the way, yeah, by the way, just to point one more thing, like when they say, I want to get a nine, uh, and again, the highest stainine, well, to get a nine on any one of the categories of the test, you've got to be in the 96th, the 99th percentile. You've got to be better than almost every other student. And, um, and only 4% of the testing population will get a nine on every given section. That's it. It's not like everyone can do it. And that part, I don't like. I don't like that only 4% can get, a, you know, get the nine. Although I understand, I'm not entirely even against competition. It's cool. Olympics, all that stuff is fun. But again, in certain areas in education, well, do we really want that? Do we really want, would we, for example, we think it would be ridiculous to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be teaching you a spelling test and only 4% of the class is going to get an A, period, you know, get the top score. And, and I mean, you always, you also mentioned something a lot of the times at the, at the beginning of your IC class when you know, you're usually teaching, you have like 20, 25 kids in this class, you always say, which I always is, is so true to hit this point home, the difference with the between the IC and let's say standardized tests like the ACT, SAT that you take later on, the ACT and the SAT pretty much 
everybody is taking, or I mean, everybody who wants to go to college has to take one of those two. So we get a huge percentage of the kids in high school taking this test. But what's different about the IC? Why is the IC not such a such a big uh, sample? Well, I mean, it, I mean, in, it depends on the area too. In the west side, it, it you know the the schools um, in that particular area, most of them are having applicants take the IC. So you really are, it really is competitive. But again, in different parts of the country, it may not be so much so. But it, if you're taking it, you are competing. Let's put it that way. Um, other kids are trying to get into the same types of schools that require the IC. And, um, you know, most adults don't remember, uh, you know, it being as competitive as it's gotten for young kids. It's gotten a lot more competitive uh, over the years. On the plus side, because I don't want to just, mention, you know, push the negative. Um, so, you know, what I do, what I tell the parents and students is, you know, some of this is, is, is a little bit stressful. Some of this, you know, not necessarily, it's not necessarily testing all the skills that are really important in life. There's other things that's not testing and so on and so forth. But there is a lot of mileage we, we can get out of this, and that's what we're going to do. We're really going to try to make you much better readers, much more able to comprehend, much be able to think mathematically, you know, and so forth, better students and so on and so forth. And, and, and to its credit, one good thing about the test is it really the questions aren't wrote in the sense that, you know, it's just a mechanic. You have to think. You have to work it through on, on many of them. And that and the critical thinking, a skill that can develop, that's huge, and that's a that's a great benefit. So, it's a trick, but if you do it really well, and that you know that's what I work hard on, you can get a lot of mileage and get out of it, and work through the, the difficulties with it. So I know today you want to talk specifically about the verbal reasoning section, which is really more focused on knowledge of vocabulary words. Can you tell us a little bit what does that section entail? Okay, first, yeah, let me tell you what it entails. I mean, the has two sections within it. One is essentially just, you know, it gives you a word, and let's say it says, you know, fast, and you have to pick the, there's a series of other words underneath it, which word most closely approximates the meaning. You know, quick, fast, quick, and so forth. But, of course, there might be, you know, some quite some challenging words. And, um, and then the next set will have a sentence with, you know, a blank in the middle of it. She went to the market to buy blank. I'm making it very simple. And you want to know it's went to buy orange juice and not, you know, a car or whatever. Um, you know, and again, it's just the idea of verbal reasoning, verbal having to do with words and using your mind, reasoning it out to say, hey, what word would fit best there? Again, because of the IC, you know, and on admissions tests, they're not going to, you know, let's be real, they're not going to make the test so easy that everybody's going to score high because um, then people are not stratified and, and private schools won't know who do better or worse. Again, do I like that, you know, fact? Not necessarily at all, but but so they are a little tougher. The words are tougher. Everything is, you know, a little bit ramped up. Um, so yeah, it's about vocabulary, knowing what words mean and then where they fit. I, I like this. I, I'm big on vocabulary. That's why I thought it'd be a good place to start. Um, but one thing I like to point out is that it's really not real. You know, people kind of think about vocabulary as like, okay, it's just, there's a set of words or, you know, individual words and just this pile of words that you have to keep adding on. Whereas, it, to me, it's, vocabulary is, is it's all about understanding. It's a different mindset. It's about learning. It's about communication. And, and I'm going to give a couple of examples. This is one thing I do with students all the time. I say to them, you know, sometimes you might be in school and you might be saying things, but you might not really know what they mean. Now, this, might, this can happen sometimes. I say, have you ever 
recited the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, yes, yes, many times, you know, dozens, hundreds, yes, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and I'm I'm just curious, you know, one of the words is that indivisible, you know, liberty and justice part. What does indivisible mean? Uh, um, I don't know, they'll say, you know, nine times out of ten. And just the simple fact of saying to them, well, in means not, like invisible is not visible, inaccurate is not accurate, and divisible has to do with being dividing things. Something can be divided. So indivisible means it can't be divided or broken apart. So we're, we're really saying our country is united. You can't break us apart. We, you can't divide us. We're indivisible. You know? And sometimes you'll just get, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, just on that single word. Or here's the, here's the killer. You know, just the words pledge and allegiance. They don't understand. Again, more than nine out of ten. You know, it's, it's a very high percentage that will not be able to give you the meaning of those two words, despite having said it so many times. They don't understand that pledges to make a serious promise. You pledge something. And allegiance is your loyalty, like you keep your allegiance to your family or to your wife, or you don't break allegiance with your team or your country and so forth. And they now get that they're pledging, promising their allegiance, their loyalty. The point is they're saying this and not even understanding it. Um, and I'll give one more example. There's so many. But another really, just such a common example is pi in math, P-I. And, you know, you know, this one might be a slightly better percentage of some we know, but vast majority won't really have a conceptual understanding. They can tell you, they'll say, what is pi? And they go, they'll either say, I don't know. Or the next highest possible answer is, oh, it's 3.14. And then I'm saying, okay, good. Well, now, why 3.14? Is that you know, 3.14 cookies, 3.14 miles, 3.14 ounces of water? What is that? And there they stop. They have no idea. They don't know where that number is, just a random number, and maybe they've even been able to plug it in and get an answer. And it literally might take 60 seconds or a little bit more to just draw a circle, show, for example, that let's say the diameter is one inch across. It's one inch across from end of circle through the center of the other end. And imagine the circumference, the outside of the circle being a piece of string. Let's cut that string and open it up and measure it. It's about 3.14 inches. Or if it's a circle a foot across, cut that string, it's 3.14 feet. Or if it's a mile, cut it up to 3.14 miles. And, you know, you just tell them, look, you know, the circumference in any circle happens to be a little bit more than three times bigger than diameter. It's just the way circles are. And for many kids, it, uh, surprisingly, even if they've been successful in using the, the pie in their math, they, this is a revelation. And now they can think with it. I think so, I, I think the idea of where you, where you do the Pledge of Allegiance, because I'm always there when you're doing it for the class, I think it's so cool because it really gets kids in the mindset, you know, hopefully it gets gives them the idea that, well, this probably happens all the time where we're using words or seeing words we don't actually look it up to see what it means. And it's kind of fun to actually know, wait, we're saying this pledge, and what does indivisible mean? I guess I didn't know, and now I can know. It's kind of cool. So hopefully it, it ignites some curiosity and passion to just want to learn about vocab. So I think it's a, it's a really great strategy. Just I also pulled up really quickly just to give – I'm going to give two examples before we dive in because I know now you, you want to talk about how to actually build and develop and hone the skill of – of vocabulary. I want to give just two actual examples from these practice IC middle levels. So the first one mm-hmm. here is we got just one random one I'm picking. It's it says concise is the word, and the four choices they give are dissected, succinct, prevalent, 
and greedy. So we got those four choices, and in this case, the so this is basically just looking at synonyms for our synonym there. We would go with succinct. And let me give, just give one example of a sentence completion. So we'll say, and you can even, if you're listening to this uh, as a parent or with your kid, you can even pause after I give the question, and then you can try and answer it on your own. So here we go. Unlike the misleading television documentary, the biography was blank. So again, they said, the, unlike the misleading television documentary, the biography was phony, accurate, organized, or interesting. And I think here, the clue is they're saying, unlike this documentary, which was misleading. So we're basically looking for the antonym of misleading. And to me, I think the one that fits best there would probably be accurate. B. So those are just two examples of what you might see on an IC. Again, this is middle level. We have lower level. We have upper level. There's even a new one now. I think it's called pre uh, preliminary. I, I can't remember. They just added a new level to IC for the for the really lower levels, uh, younger kids. So, anyways, there's your there's your sample. So now. Ron, can you take us into your regimen? Because I know your class has been really, really successful at the school that you have it. They, they love it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you prep kids for building their vocabulary and what resources you recommend? Okay, good. Well, um, so one of the bigger things that I'm trying to do is instead of, you know, instead of just piling on word after word on individual words, although that is helpful, so there's nothing wrong with, you know, flashcards of words and so forth. It's not, you know, damaging and so on. And, and it's helpful. Anything that you can add to the mix, you know, that builds the vocabulary, it can be good. But the biggest thing I'm trying to ignite is exactly what you said, is a curiosity, a desire to know, a desire to really be in communication. And also, again, I just want to take the opportunity to put it in the context of, you know, the now very widely accepted uh, 21st century skills that they call the four C's. Critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity. Um, really important skills for the 21st century. And uh, communication. You know, this is about communication. Vocabulary is about communication and putting it that way. So one is constantly try to ignite that desire to, hey, what do I know? What do I not know? And let me find out. Oh, now I know what that means. So one of the ways we do is we, we have little what we call study puzzles. And they're little sort of short paragraphs, little games where they have, you know, they have to figure out um, what something means, and they aren't—they're not going to figure out with, without clearing up some words, without finding what they mean. So, and um, and while we're reading, when we're doing the comprehension, when we practice the uh, comprehension parts, we do it in two diff distinct ways. First, we have them read passages where they're just take their time to just like they're going to do on the test. They get no help. You know, they read it, they answer the questions, and then afterwards, of course, we can clear it up. But the other way we read it is we read it together in detail where we're not timed, and we really dig in with the students. So what does that mean? What's that? And we, we're, we're, we're making connections, and we're talking, we're discussing, and we're just that part of the reading comprehension. We're modeling a way of reading that has more critical thinking, um, better analysis, real understanding, and then that starts to get ingrained in them as a, as a way of being like, okay, you know, I can see uh, this is a cool way to read. And then they take that with them. So even when they are just doing it time, they're still there. There's a little different mindset and, um, and that different mindset helps them. And of course that mindset now when they're in school, we're leveraging 
you could say that school day better because now instead of just sitting there, hopefully being, you know, hopefully instead of just sitting there and being passive, they're more actively engaged and asking questions and looking at things. So they're building the, we, I want the kid building his vocabulary, you know, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and then, but in terms of resources, um, I do like ones that are a little bit more robust, like in other words, not just giving individual words with a meaning because that's out of context. So, one obvious thing, and it's just too simple, but you got to say it, read. Get the kids reading, reading, and finding things they like to read, but that's not too hard or too easy, so they're learning new words. Um, and, that's, and they have a context. They're engaged when they're reading. They're connected. Whereas often when you're doing these flashcards, you're kind of connected, but you're not really engaged. You know, you're sort of doing it because you have to, but you're not really engaged, like a story. So reading and the curiosity in the reading, believe it or not, are the biggest things you can really do. And also they're lifelong skills. They're really a gift you can give that student. Um, but in terms of a, a, a program, for example, that I know that school where I worked that we use and I promote it and like it is Wordly. Why? A lot of schools are one where you're using it. Wordly, you know, W-O-R-D-L-Y-Y. And uh, they have that in, uh, you know, hardcover books. And they also have, you can do it digitally. The good, what I like about it is they give you a set of words, they give you the definitions, but then there's all sorts of different exercises you do with those words, and then there's, um, you know, kind of little games, and then you read a whole story that uses those words, so it has more context, you know, more interactivity, more to it. Um, so that's, that's definitely a, a good resource. Um, do you ever mm -hmm. recommend, for example, what about parents? I mean, when, when we're talking about reading, can it, do you recommend reading individually or can it also be something where they're read aloud to by their parents or other people? And how do those two activities compare? I, I think um, that whole mix is really good. In other words, not just having one modality of reading. Reading on their own, of course, they, they definitely should do that. Um, but I always, when, when I'm working with students, I always make them read aloud too. Because, one, it's just, again, from a communication viewpoint, you want that fluency. You know, again, in today's world, the ability to communicate, we're here more and more, so important. So, you know, if you have to give a presentation, if they're, you know, standing up in front of a group of people and having to read, you want them to be fluent. But you also pick up things, and this is, you know, sometimes I'll be shocked. Suddenly, a kid is, you know, seems seemingly well advanced in certain areas, but then can't pronounce certain words. Doesn't even know what the word is. Um, and so you'll pick that up, whereas you would miss it if the kid, if the child was not reading a lot. Um, so it's, and it's, and so, and, and then, uh, having a parent or particularly somebody who's more fluent and a better reader, because then that models it and then it helps the child learn. So I think, um, all those are, are good. And I wouldn't, I would be wary to just have the kid read on their own only or, or never to read out loud or never to read with somebody else, but just, Give it a mix. And what about a? I know that a lot of times some of your students use Newzella or Newzy LA, how it's pronounced in different ways. Can you talk a little bit about, about that resource? Yeah. Um, I mean, I love that website uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, what it is, for those who don't know, is it's a site that takes newspaper articles, actual newspaper articles, the very articles that are written by New York Times, LA Times, Chicago Tribune, whatever it is, the real articles. And then what it does is it adapts them to students by notching them into different what are called lexile levels, levels of reading. So you, if you notch it at a thousand, it'll be written almost maybe like the article is with all the vocabulary. But then you, you know, hit it at 800, the vocabulary weakens, 500. So 
you know, if it's a fifth grade or sixth grade, you can notch it up and down. That's one thing I, I love about it because then you can help build the student up. I use it a lot as well as a note with, I do um, work with underserved community and uh, it's my go-to, it's one of my go-to resources. And the reason why, a lot of times students would, but, but frankly it applies to all levels, but particularly with underserved kids, they're not even aware of, you know, more than five blocks away from them, you know, other cities, places. And frankly, I find sometimes I'm shocked to find very affluent, you know, children with families that I think would be a lot more, you know, you know, cosmopolitan and, you know, you know, understanding the world around them are really not they're kind of insulated in some way in their understanding. So these articles, they're interesting. They're about the, you know, Tesla cars and, the, and this new scientific discovery or, you know, things that are real and going on in the world. And they connect the, the kid, the student, to things that are going on and that they're real and in their environment. So it tends, if you particularly pick the right stories and give a nice, selection and give them different opportunities to interact with different people. they get engaged and they're interested and they, and, and I feel it helps build their critical thinking because you're really analyzing real world events. And what does this mean? And, you know, so, um, it's just, a, it, I think it's a real handy resource for that. Of course, if done correctly, they're going to build a vocabulary and they're going to understand the world. I mean, I can just tell you, you know, if you have somebody like a wound up doll who's, you know, just been given every word in the dictionary, but has never lived life, never talked to people, never really understand. They have so much trouble really understanding and doing well in comprehension and getting inferences and, you know, critical thinking because they, they're just, it's just too narrow, you know, just too much of memorization. That's, again, why I like this because it gets them, gets them thinking and, and honestly, it helps them with comprehension in life. It's, it's, a, it's a really great, it's a simple website but really helpful in my mind. Okay, awesome. So everybody... If you're listening and you want to check out these resources, I will provide links to these resources in the show notes. And also, Ron, if people want to get in touch with you and your company, how can they do that? Well, my email is ronron at T is in Tom, E is in Egg, S is in Sam, then B is in Boy, E is in Egg, S is in Sam, T is in Tom, dot com. Ron at T E S. Um, and, and I would give one other, uh, just throw in one other thing that I like to, uh, you know, for vocabulary development, and that is prefixes and suffixes and roots. And there's just tons of material out there, and you can just pick, you know, whatever works well for your child. But those are sort of the building blocks of language and understanding roots and prefix and suffix helps. It's sort of like almost the glue, and again, you know, the basic fundamentals, so it's very helpful. Um, <laughs> Now, when we when we learn prefixes and suffixes, it's also a, a tool to, if you look at something that you haven't seen before, a word that you may not understand, it's a way that you can try and maybe figure out, wager a guess as to, and a, and a very educated, a good, accurate guess as mm-hmm. to what this mm-hmm. word might mean. That's absolutely right. Um, I, I wanted to sort of, you know, just, I just, I have a few like excerpts that maybe I would close with that. Just, again, just to show the different um, people uh, saying what they say about vocabulary. Um, one is from a book, um, you know, and I, you know, my training, um, I've been doing this for decades, but I think more and more, um, you know, more, more and more, uh, you could say research or data is coming out about it. But, um, uh, again, here's a book called teaching the brain to read by Judy Willis, MD. Uh, one of the, and here's, here's a quote from the book that says independent reading alone without student motivation to notice 
rather than skip all the new words they read, won't build vocabulary as much as an approach to reading, where students become interested and enthusiastic about words, so they want to know their meaning. And it cites a, a research study, Cunningham and Stanovich in 1998. And it also, in the same book, it says, quote, with enhanced vocabulary, students grow in skills of verbal fluency, writing, and comprehension. The National Reading Panel states that the larger the student's vocabulary, the more depth they are at understanding text. Now, um, just for interest, or just for a little side color, uh, way back in uh, 1760, Benjamin Franklin wrote to a friend, and this is just a little excerpt. He said, uh, I think it would be well for you to have a good dictionary at hand to consult immediately when you meet with a word you, not, you do not comprehend the precise meaning of. This may at first seem troublesome and interrupting, but it is a trouble that will daily diminish as you will daily find less and less occasion for your dictionary as you become more acquainted with the terms. And in the meantime, you will read with more satisfaction because with more understanding. And, that, and there was an, obviously a very brilliant individual with a great uh, suggestion. And, and lastly, although, you know, um, whatever you think of this personality, it's just a fascinating story. This is from the autobiography of Malcolm X. And the reason I think it's just fascinating, I've seen there's more than one example of this, where somebody literally goes, is in jail, and then they start clearing up vocabulary and the profound effect it had. So this is, a, this is a quote from that book, Autobiography of Malcolm X. Quote, I happened to stumble upon starting to acquire some kind of a homemade education. Every book I picked up had, few, this is from when he was in jail, every book I picked up had few sentences which didn't contain anywhere from one to nearly all of the words that might as well have been in Chinese. When I just skipped those words, of course, I really ended up with a little idea of what the book said. I saw that the best thing I could do was get a hold of a dictionary to study, to learn some words. I suppose it was inevitable that as my word base broadened, I could for the first time pick up a book and read and now begin to understand what the book was saying. Anyone who has read a great deal can imagine the new world that opened. Let me tell you something. From then until I left that prison, in every free moment I had, if I was not reading in the library, I was reading on my bunk. Months passed without my even thinking about being in prison. In fact, up to then, I never had been so truly free in my life. Pretty powerful, uh, you know, pretty powerful message. That's really cool, so, yeah. And my, my dad's yeah. such, a, such a Malcolm X fan, by the way. Okay, there you go. So good, good choice. Awesome. All right. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's, that was it. I was just, again, I just had wanted to sort of hit it from that angle and, again, sort of steer away from, okay, let's just pile on more words to let's open up new worlds of understanding. And, uh, you know, again, another analogy I make, if you add up a column of numbers in math, you know, one plus eight plus five plus six, if one of those numbers is missing, you're going to get the wrong answer. If a lot of those numbers are off, you're going to get a really long answer. And it's the same when you read. You're not adding up numbers, but you're, it's a collection or you're adding, so to speak, words, and if you're missing them, you ain't going to get the whole uh, story or the whole picture. Thank you so much, Ron, for those awesome tips and amazing suggestions and, of course, those resources. If you guys want to reach out to Ron directly to ask him questions, contact him about tutoring, whatever it may be, you can contact him at ron at tesbest.com. And, of course, for Newsy LA or Newzella or however you want to pronounce it and also for links to WordlyWise, all that stuff will be in the show notes. If you want to check out the show notes, go to www.scalarlearning.com. And if you have questions 
or comments from me, as always, you can email me directly at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. Would love to hear from you. We'll absolutely write back to you. And finally, if you have not done so yet, please go ahead, subscribe to the show in iTunes. We got new shows, new episodes dropping every day this entire summer. Lots of cool stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Make sure to do that. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Scalar, learning, give me that scalar, learning.